The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the simplest, most powerful website creator that helps you make headlines with your own stunning online presence. Explore elegant templates, Getty image integration, and more at squarespace.com and use the code Guardian to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Books Podcast with me, Claire Armistead. Mindful that many of you may be in a holiday mood, we're abandoning our usual seriousness to indulge you with a daily series of comic tales from some of our favourite writers. They range across fiction, non-fiction and memoir and are all part of a funny story special in The Guardian's Weekend magazine. You can read the text versions at theguardian.com. This is one of six podcasts we'll have for you. Enjoy. A Conscientious Young Man with the State Department by Dave Eggers I had no business being at the Republican National Convention. Somehow, though, I had finagled a press pass to the gathering, and I was sitting fifty rows up at Madison Square Garden, watching one of the party's lone African-American Republicans give a speech to the general disinterest of the scattered afternoon audience, all wearing red, white, and blue. I was ostensibly reporting on the convention, so I reached into my backpack for my notebook. But my notebook was not there. I did the customary frantic rifling through the backpack, but soon I recognized that I had left the notebook on the plane. I had just flown from Phoenix, where I'd attended a conference for the Sudanese diaspora, to New York, and now I replayed it all in my mind. I was on the plane and was writing in the notebook, The notebook was just a blank hardcover book, and at some point I put the notebook in the seat pocket in front of me. Now, sitting amid all these Republicans, I knew I left the notebook in that seat pocket, and I assumed the notebook was gone. There was almost no chance that the notebook would have been found, and if it had been found, there was no chance it was saved, and if it was saved, there was no chance that it had survived the process of it being handed from the airline cleanup crew to airline clerk to whoever ran the lost and found at the airport, if there was such a thing. Still, while watching the lone African-American Republican leave the stage to a smattering of applause and a few loud woos, I called the airline. Much to my surprise, and to the surprise of all humanity, Within a few minutes, I was on the phone with someone from the airline who said she had the notebook in her hand. She said, yep, actually the notebook was turned in at the lost and found. We have it right here. I was flabbergasted. To be sure, I described it, and the woman on the phone said, yep, that's the one. I asked her if she could send it to me in the mail, and she said, sure, we could send it to you. I gave her my address in San Francisco. She said she would send it to me that day. It was altogether the most satisfying customer service experience I, or any person in the 20 or 21st century, has ever had. After this call, I watched the convention through the eyes of a man who had been touched by grace, who was at peace with the goodness of his fellow humans. Around me, bathed in the glow of this goodness, the Republican men and women dressed in patriotic colors seemed friendly and harmless enough even those wearing buttons celebrating guns and the invasions of sovereign nations. This was 2004, and we were three years into the war on terror 
and one year into the war in Iraq. To have this convention in New York City was a bold move, one meant to remind the country's voters of the perceived strength of President Bush's resolve. He had come to New York just after the attacks on the World Trade Center and had movingly saluted the firefighters sifting through the debris looking for survivors. He had expressed his grief over the unconscionable human loss. He had said that the U.S. would hold responsible those who had committed this heinous act. Within days, the world acknowledged this act was planned by a Saudi man named Osama bin Laden and carried out by a group of Saudis, all of them having been harbored by and trained in Afghanistan. And so, to express our national grief over 9-11 and to punish Afghanistan for its role in abetting the attacks, we invaded Iraq. This was the backdrop of the 2004 Republican National Convention. So I had brought this notebook to New York having no precise plans about what I would write about or for whom. And now I couldn't write anything because my notebook was not with me. So after a few hours at the convention, I went outside into the New York bustle, and on 33rd Street I checked my voicemail, and on it there was the voice of a man, and this voice said, Hi, this is so-and-so from the State Department, and I'm in possession of your notebook. Why don't you give us a call back to talk about it? This was the first time I had received a call from the State Department and my first reaction was elation. It should be understood that I was very resentful of the government and its wars, and was furious about the war on terror, and the egregious and myriad violations of rights embedded in the Patriot Act. I had donated to various democratic causes, and recently published a book called The Future Dictionary of America, which sought to map a future where all this would be a nightmare of the past, not a reality of the present. So I was happy to receive this call, thinking that somehow I was being singled out by the State Department, perhaps in conjunction with the Department of Homeland Security. Perhaps they considered me some dangerous entity. Perhaps they had not found this notebook, but had stolen it to discover my many dangerous ideas. So I called the State Department man back. I asked him, I'll call him Carl from now on, how he came in possession of the notebook and Carl said that it had been first found by the cleaning crew on the plane. The cleaning crew had then handed it to the airline clerks, who had kept it at the airline desk. This was when I had called the airline, when the nice woman had promised to send it to me. But the same woman, who had given me the most satisfying customer experience of my life, after hanging up, had begun flipping through the notebook, and she became concerned with some of the things she read. So she contacted the airport security office, which is run by the Port Authority of New York. These authorities examined the notebook and contacted Homeland Security, who then contacted the State Department. This was what Carl told me. This was, remember, at a time when the FBI, CIA, and law enforcement agencies at every level were being pilloried for not communicating effectively, for siloing information for hoarding leads and not seeing connections and threats that better communication would illuminate. But here was a situation where a notebook had gone through at least four agencies in the few hours since it had been left on a plane. This was either a sign of massive misappropriation of effort and resources, given it was a notebook, not a bomb, and this was during the Republican National Convention, held half a mile from ground zero, or this was proof that all applicable agencies were working in perfect harmony, and with remarkable alacrity. So why did it get to you at the State Department? I asked Carl. 
Well, some of the writings in your notebook caused concern, Carl said. Okay, I said, thinking what those writings could have been, and also smiling to myself, knowing that when people say writings, they are referring to the work of a madman. Normal people produce sentences, paragraphs, pages, while the dangerous and deranged produce writings. So am I in trouble, or... I asked. No, 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 Carl said. I just want to talk to you about it. Are we going to talk now, I asked. No, no, Carl said. Let's see. I know you're flying out on JetBlue tomorrow morning, so why don't I just meet you at the gate before your flight? I agreed to meet Carl the next day, very much intrigued by all this, and trying to put it all together. Carl had managed to find my cell phone number, which was in the notebook, easy enough, but he also knew my flight itinerary, which was surely not very difficult for him to find out. At the same time, though, Carl didn't seem to know anything else about me. My name was in the notebook, and a quick internet search would clarify things. But he hadn't done an internet search, it didn't seem. So in the middle of the GOP convention, in a city like New York, during two concurrent wars, this State Department employee was not only calling me, but also planning to trek down to the airport in the morning to meet me personally, before my flight. Again, was this a very bizarre misuse of resources? or some semblance of calm sanity and competence. After all, there was no hysteria here. Carl seemed very patient, content to wait a day to meet me at the gate, to personally hand me the notebook. When I got to the jet blue gate in the morning, I expected Carl to be a gray-haired man, a world-weary type in a trench coat. But the man I saw, standing there in the tiny restaurant next to the gate, holding my notebook, was wearing khakis and a polo shirt, and looked roughly twelve. Carl of the State Department was loose and friendly, and after exchanging pleasantries, I realized that somewhere between our initial phone call and this morning, Carl had looked me up and had realized that I wasn't a dangerous man, which was, of course, very disappointing. I had wanted a wrongful arrest, more misunderstandings, if only to highlight what was a misguided and reckless Department of Homeland Security, to highlight their slipshod war on terror and the general irrational chaos of the airports and the ignorance of the rank-and-file security personnel who had harassed me and everyone I knew and about half a million Muslims for three years and would do so for many years in the future. Carl's first questions did not inspire confidence. He had the notebook out now, and he first asked me for my Social Security number. This was interesting. If the State Department does not have access to someone's Social Security number, there would seem to be some kind of disconnect with the information flow. I gave it to him, and Carl wrote it down. I wondered if next he'd ask me how to spell my name, but Carl had no more questions. He told me that the State Department had no interest in me, not as a suspect or threat, and that I was free to board the plane. But I needed to know what had garnered their attention in the first place. I looked at my own notebook, flipping through it. I saw only random notes, some of them in grease pencil. Nothing leaping out as a State Department concern. Carl said there were some concerning things. He cited the instance of the following words and phrases, all of them occurring within a few pages of the notebook. George W. Bush, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, Osama bin Laden, Republican National Convention, August 30th to September 2nd, New York City. Now, looking at the pages with him, I actually laughed there in the airport. And then I looked a few pages further and noticed some drawings I had done, 
just random doodles put down during a dull meeting. Innocent enough. Though then again, these were drawings of flames. There were pages and pages of flames. Cute flames, cartoony flames. I often drew all kinds of things when bored, but flames, nevertheless. I could explain it all and did. These were all notes I'd taken during the conference in Phoenix. Bush and Powell and Rice had all helped secure peace in South Sudan, so their names naturally came up in the convention and I wrote them down. And Bin Laden? He had been harbored for six years by the Sudanese government in Khartoum, and his name was mentioned frequently during the gathering. And the Republican National Convention? New York City? Well, I was on my way there, so it made sense to have details of my itinerary in the notebook. And the flames? They were harder to explain, but by this point, the State Department guy had me pegged for a harmless nut, and my flight was leaving. So that was that. I got on the plane, and Carl went back to work on whatever he was working on, and I flew back to San Francisco in an unsettled state. I had wanted to think of this encounter as some kind of invasion of my privacy, an emblematic of the paranoid state the world was in, but I found myself instead thinking that the system, at least that day, in this way, was working. No machine as big as the State Department or the Department of Homeland Security can be all bad or all broken, and this happened to be an instance where a notebook containing references to Osama bin Laden, the Republican National Convention, New York City, containing realistic flames and cartoon flames, raised a few eyebrows. And a very nice man, looking 12 years old and wearing khakis and a polo shirt, looked through it, asked the owner of the notebook his social security number, and gave the notebook back. Maybe there was hope for this world, for this government, I thought, flying high over the vast USA. Then again, this was a year to the day before Hurricane Katrina. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.